Good morning. As Nigel just explained, um, over the past few weeks we've been um, going over the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as a preaching workshop. We took Ezra in a chapter-by-chapter basis, starting at the beginning and working our way through to the end, uh, covering two or three chapters per sermon. With Nehemiah, we're taking a slightly different approach. We're covering this uh, this book topically. And this was started last Sunday night by Roy, who covered Nehemiah's experience of prayer. And if you missed that, can I encourage you to go and listen to it on the Windsor website? Um, It was very good, and I found it very challenging and encouraging. This morning we're going to be looking at Nehemiah and his passion for scripture. I have to admit that when I first saw this as a sermon title, I was intrigued. I knew that Nehemiah was well known for building the wall of Jerusalem. I knew that he was quoted as an example of a good leader. And I even knew that he was known for his experience of prayer. But I never really thought of him in terms of his knowledge of or passion for scripture. Did Nehemiah have a passion for scripture? I didn't know. So I read through the book a couple of times. And after I'd read it, it soon became obvious to me that not only did he have a passion for scripture, but that his whole life was based on his knowledge of and passion for scripture. I have two aims for this morning's service. Firstly, I'd like to give you a picture of what Nehemiah's life was like and how it was shaped by his knowledge of scripture. And secondly, I'd like to develop within you a passion for knowing and applying scripture in your own lives. I'm going to suggest to you that Nehemiah had a fat knowledge of scripture. That's P-H-A-T for those listening by recording. He had a knowledge of scripture that empowered his prayers. He had a knowledge of scripture that gave him a hope for a future when others despaired. He had a passion for for, and a faith in scripture that was displayed through his actions. And he had a passion for for sharing and teaching his scripture to others to bring about reform. So I'm going to deal with the pH of fat first. This is his prayer and hope, and I feel that they link together. Let me read to you from Nehemiah chapter 1. It's on page 485 in the Pew Bibles. The words will also be up on the screen. It's entitled, Nehemiah's Prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, 
with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Let me give you a bit of background to set Nehemiah in context. Approximately 150 years have passed since the destruction of Jerusalem and the first temple. This was when the majority of the Jews had been taken into captivity, although the leaders had been taken some 10 years earlier. Approximately 80 years have now passed since Cyrus's decree, uh, allowing the first group of Jews to return and to rebuild the temple. But the building of the temple had taken longer than was anticipated by the Jews, who had faced much in the way of opposition. And the Jews were still under Persian rule. They were governed by non-Jews, and they faced opposition and famine. They saw all of this as punishment from God. They lacked security in a hostile time, and they have no walls or gates, and they probably haven't had any for 150 years. This is the way they probably felt. If God is against us, then who could be for us? We can see from his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah had a great knowledge of scripture. Verses 8 and 9, which I highlighted in the section before, are a paraphrase of part of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let me read them to you again. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. As you can see on the screen, we've got verse 8 parallels with verses 25 to 28 of Deuteronomy 4. Let me read them to you. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed, 
the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. These verses that Nehemiah quotes in his prayer remind him of the reason for the situation that the Jews are in. After all, they've strayed from God by worshipping false gods. They've done evil in the eyes of the Lord and they have not obeyed his commands. This is why they were taken into captivity. These words also remind Nehemiah that God is true to his word. What he, does, what he says, he does. Verse 9, paraphrased from Deuteronomy 4, 29-31, which I'll read to you, gives Nehemiah his hope. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant of love with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. Nehemiah has a hope, and this is, his hope is that the Jews will turn back to God and that they will find him. He knows that God will not forget his covenant of love, and he has a hope that the people will return to the Lord, and the Lord will return the land to the people. Nehemiah knows that his God is not a vengeful or spiteful God, but that his punishment had a purpose. Nehemiah knows that God's punishment had redemptive purpose. He also knows that no matter how bad the situation is that he faces, and no matter how strong the opposition, his God is a God of great strength and a mighty hand. His God is in control. I always find it amazing how different people can face a similar situation and react in totally different ways. Um, for instance, a situation that crushes one person can make another person flourish. Listen to this poem. It's by Ella Wheeler Wilcox, you may know it. One ship drives east and another drives west with the self same winds that blow. It is the set of the sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of fate as we voyage along through life, tis the set of our souls that decides our goals, and not the calm or the strife. Let me suggest to you that if we set our sails, using God's words to direct us, we can and will have a hope that allows us to face even the toughest of situations with confidence. This is the hope that Nehemiah had. Now, I don't want to say too much about Nehemiah's experience of prayer because Roy has already covered that in detail in his sermon. But I would just like to point out the importance of Scripture to Nehemiah's prayers. In John 15, Jesus tells us, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Nehemiah 
knew that if we want our prayers to be successful, we need to pray in God's will. And it strikes me that if we want to pray in God's will, then one of the best ways we can do this is to use the very words that God has given us in Scripture in our prayers. Nehemiah did this in chapter 1. We've now got to the at section of our fat knowledge of Scripture. I'm going to make a bold suggestion here that Nehemiah's motive for returning to Jerusalem was not to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, but rather to rebuild a renewed community of faith. After all, we've already seen from his prayers that the only way that his mission could be successful was if the people were to turn back to the Lord. If Nehemiah had just come to rebuild the wall, he would have left after just 52 days. That's when the war was completed. Instead, he stayed an extra 12 years. He could have gone back to a good job with the king. He was sacrificing a lot to be in Jerusalem. John White, in his book about Nehemiah, says, Although he is known for the rebuilding of Jerusalem's wall, his greatest contribution was to rebuild a nation or at least to lay down solid foundations for that rebuilding. Let's see how Nehemiah's actions were fueled by his knowledge for scripture, of scripture. Now I find it a little ironic that Nehemiah is remembered for rebuilding the wall. He never asks to be remembered for that, but he does ask to be remembered three times in his book. Firstly, in chapter 5, verse 19, he asks to be remembered for what he has done for the poor and how he did not place a heavy burden on the people. At this time, some of the poorer Jews were suffering at the hands of their own countrymen. These people were taking their land, forcing them to sell their own children into slavery in order to pay their debts. This violated the usury laws that had been set forth in Exodus. For example, Exodus 22, 25-27 says, If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a money lender. Charge him no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Nehemiah takes action. He does not allow this usury to continue. He confronts the nobles and officials with what they are doing, which results in their repentance and the return of the poor people's fields, houses, vineyards, and everything else that they have taken. In chapter 13, Nehemiah asks to be remembered for restoring the temple. He throws Tobiah the Ammonite out of the temple because he finds written in the law of God that no Ammonite nor Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. It's clear that Nehemiah does not view the law as something to just think about or talk about. Nehemiah acts on what he knows about scripture. And the third time he asks to be remembered is also in chapter 13 
where he asks to be remembered for restoring the Sabbath. And we all know that the Sabbath is an integral part of Scripture. God rested on the seventh day, and in fact it was so important to God that he made it one of the Ten Commandments that he gave us to observe the Sabbath. So it's easy to see that Nehemiah's knowledge of Scripture was shown passionately through his actions. He cared for the needy, and he was concerned about displaying God's law in every aspect of his life. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah tells us about Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem. He starts to rebuild the wall. In chapter 5, it shows his concern for the poor. By the end of chapter 6, he's rebuilt the wall and secured the city. Chapter 7 is a bit of a list of names where he counts the people. Um, And we're going to look at chapter 8 together now, verses 1 to 12. You can find it on page 492 in the Pew Bibles. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the law had commanded for Israel. So, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all those who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood six Levites, and on his left were another seven. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. There is some debate over the best way to do mission. Some some of us see the lost state of the world And we're overwhelmed by the need for God's word to be spread. And we see the social gospel as a waste of time. 
while others of us see the overwhelming physical needs of the people around the world and put all of our energy and resources into meeting these needs, often at the neglect of God's law. I think that Nehemiah gives us a great model for mission, for meeting people with both physical and spiritual needs, reaching those who have lost hope in God. We've already established that Nehemiah's highest aim was one of spiritual reformation, otherwise nothing else would work. But when he arrived in Jerusalem, he realized the people were not ready to hear God's word. Their view of God was distorted. They could only see him as oppressive. After all, if God was against them, then who could be for them? A bit like with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, some of you may know it. It's up on the screen. Nehemiah knew that he had to meet some of the people's lower order needs first. Things like their security and their need for food and shelter and land to get their kids back. Then, through his display of God's love to them and faithfulness to them, he'd be able to meet their need for God's word. What really amazes me about this is how well it worked. Nehemiah did not have to gather the people together in order to teach them about God's law. If you remember from chapter 8, the people came and gathered and asked Ezra to preach the law to them. This strongly suggests to me That if we set our hope in God's word, as Nehemiah did, if we pray according to his will, like Nehemiah, and if we live according to his word, we will not have to look for people to tell about God. They will come looking for us. We see the same trait displayed in Jesus' life and ministry. His acceptance of the unlovables drew crowds to him wanting to know why. He did not have to look for people to tell about the kingdom of God. They flocked to him even when he was trying to get away to get some rest. Now I've heard it said by some people that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. As if to suggest that once you know something, you will always be asked to be involved in doing it every time there is a need. But I would like to suggest to you this morning that little knowledge is a dangerous thing when it comes to Bible knowledge. After all, let's not forget why the Jews were in the situation they were in. They had forgotten the Lord and turned to false gods. They did not listen to the prophets that God had sent to warn them. Instead, they listened to false prophets. This is possibly because they did not know the scriptures and didn't know who was right. But anyway... They didn't obey God's law. And we all know that in the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting in the desert after his baptism, that Satan tempted him using scriptures. And that whenever the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus, they tried to trick him using scripture. Therefore, a good knowledge of scripture and its meaning is vital to us if we are to live our lives as God intends and if we are to avoid being led astray. So can I encourage you this morning to become fat with scripture? Use it to empower your prayers. Build a knowledge of scripture that gives you such a hope in God that it will enable you to face even the toughest of circumstances. Put scripture into action in your lives so that you will have such an impact on others that they will come to you wanting you 
to teach them about God, asking you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now I realize some of you are going to be sitting there thinking, I can never do my quiet times, I can't keep up with them. I just can't learn by sitting and reading the Bible alone, that doesn't help. I'm never going to be fat enough. My purpose today is not to make you feel guilty about struggling with your quiet times. It's a proven fact that different people learn in different ways. Some people do learn best by individual study, but others of us learn better by group discussions, so we could attend fellowship groups or form smaller group Bible studies with people that we know. Some of us learn better by doing, so can I suggest you get involved in teaching in junior church or youth club or joining the preaching workshop, or you could do a course at the Bible college. Whatever way you learn, can I encourage you to try and find it and to set some sort of plan in place in your lives to increase your knowledge of scripture. After all, the starting point for any meaningful change is a first intentional step. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this book, the Bible that you've given to us. We thank you that you have given us your word to be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our paths. Thank you that through your word we can know your will. We confess to you that we are not as excited about reading your word as we should be. We also confess that we do not know how to put it into action often. Help us, Lord, as we consider how to become fat with Scripture. Help us to empower our prayers. Help us to develop a hope within us. Help us to know your Scripture and put it into practice in our lives so that we may be good witnesses for you. Lord, we pray for the help of your Spirit to give us understanding in what we read. Amen.